0: Hello and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Spiritual gifts can be a scary topic, especially if there's some you hope you don't have. But that misses the purpose of the gifts, to serve one another and ultimately glorify God. Plus, you'll find that your gifts fall in line with who God made you to be, and as a result, be a joy, not a burden teacher Randy Pope continues the series Propelled the Serving Mindset with this message entitled Discovery of Speaking Gifts, which covers 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 10 and 11 and 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 29. Thank you for joining us today. Let's pray and get ready for the teaching of
1: God's Word, all right? Father, we now pray that you would grant us to be able to take this, your infallible word. We believe that. And to feed our hearts in such a way that we would be set free to the end that we might bring you greater glory because we've been here these few minutes this morning. And so we ask, feed us well, particularly for those of us that are among us that are not yet in relationship with you. May this be the day it all comes together, becomes so clear. And there might be those that fall in love with you this day for the very first time. So we thank you. Bless it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Author Pat Morley, he writes, let me put this up for you to see. He says, What do you think is a man's greatest need? Someone recently mentioned they would like their tombstone to read, He made a difference. Whether we speak of achieving our full potential, or only of surviving to the next paycheck, men and women invariably talk about their need to be significant. A person's most innate need is his or her need to be significant, to find purpose and meaning. The difference is how we go about satisfying our need to be significant. Really true, isn't it? Isn't it interesting how many Christians, and I'm talking now, to the Christian community. How many Christians do not really experience this idea of meaning, purpose, significance? We wake up day after day, go to bed night after night, and there's this sense of why. Is it to be able to accomplish something that people might applaud? Is it to just... Navigate life so that you don't experience too significant of pain? I mean, really, what is it all about? The reality is that many, many, many Christians rarely experience what God has designed them to experience in life. Most, I think, don't probably nearly experience the joy that could be experienced of being used by God in a major league way. I think there are just large numbers, large percentages, high percentages of Christians that never know the thrill of experiencing being on a team that they're contributing to that wins the greatest of all victories in life. And there's something that constantly is saying, I want That. I want those that I leave behind to know that my life made a significant difference. Certainly not the only reason, but I think one very real contributing factor to that among Christians is that they never have discovered what we're calling spiritual gifts. The scriptures talk a good bit, four or five different passages. Talk about spiritual giftedness. I want to say a word to the seeker, but first, let me, give, let me give a definition that we've been using of spiritual gift. It's a God-given ability of Christ. I pause there because don't forget, Christ has all of the abilities that he's going to distribute to us. The Father distributes them to us, but they're his abilities which God entrusts to each of his people in order to involve them in the task of bringing healing to an alienated world. I'll say a word to you that are seekers. You're seeking answers to the faith. You're not yet in relationship with God. You're trying to figure it out. Is this maybe the answer? Is it not? This may appear at first sight as a series, a topic that you would say, this is is for them. This is for the Christian who have gifts. Let me tell you, this is for you as well. Because you need to get this very, very clear, and this series is going to help you see this, that Christianity is not deciding, okay, uh, which set of beliefs do I want to embrace? Uh, Which religious leader do I want to follow? It's not that. It's coming into a personal relationship with God, being literally redeemed, which means purchased out of debt, because of our sin, where he comes and pays the sin so that we might be in relationship with him so that he might then commission us as his ambassadors where we take the gifts that he has given to us and he employs us into the world in which we live, work, and play. And he says, now you have a reason for living. Your reason is to bring what we call the kingdom of God, God's reign upon this earth so that he might reign over more people than he does now, that he might reign deeper in the lives of people he already reigns in. And he says, when you start doing that, when you see yourself in that capacity, God begins to use you as a healer, as a restorer to a broken and alienated world. We've talked about alienation in four different capacities. We're alienated from God spiritually. There's a spiritual alienation And we're no longer, as Christians, alienated from God. In terms of his love for us, let me tell you, it is full and complete. But still many of us, as real Christians, and certainly the world at large, we're living in a world of alienation in that we feel alienated from the God who may indeed even love us through what he's done by Christ. And so we need help in our spiritual life. Others of us are alienated. From ourselves, psychologically, not spiritually, but now psychologically. And we're at war with ourselves. We, we have terrible self-esteem. We don't like who we are. We wish we were different. And we've got thinking patterns that are all confused and hurting us and making us sad and depressed. And we go, man, psychologically, I'm just, I'm just broken. There's social alienation where we're, we're broken in relationship to other people. And, and the relationship is just not what it should be, whether it be their fault or our fault or both. It's still it's a broken relationship, and we need restoration. And there's physical. I mean, how many of us here, let's say my age and older, did not wake up this morning hurting somewhere? Right? <laughs> of course, we're broken people, and some find their brokenness in extreme fashion, with childhood cancer. All kind of issues and and birth defects and problems and all kind. Why? We're in a broken world. And then God says, now here's what I want to do. I want to commission you people who are still broken yourself, but you are redeemed. And you found healing beyond others. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to commission you now to go out into that broken world. And you use the tools that I've given. Use your life. It's the first tool we've looked at. Use your resources, financial, material resources. Use those great tools, but then use your spiritual gifts, which is what we're focused on in this series. Use your giftedness to go help people in their brokenness. Now, if we don't know our gifts, we can't do that near to the capacity we could otherwise. I used in the early part of this series, I used a a quote that I heard as I was with Peter Drucker and I many of if you know that name, Peter Drucker, and what a astounding person he was to, I mean, a Renaissance man of all people I've ever met. And, and he's worked with leaders all over the world, corporate, national, doesn't matter, just, you know, a governmental, all kind of leaders. And he says, I, I have rarely, if ever, met somebody that does three things really, really well. I've met some, not many, that can do two things well. Most people just do one thing really, really well. But he says whether it's three, two, or one doesn't matter. He said the people that make the greater impact are not that can do more things better than others, but it's those who figure out what the one thing is, and they give themselves most wholeheartedly to that one thing. They make incredible impact. That's true in the spiritual world, too. The Christians that say, this is what I do well. I'm going to focus on this. I'll tell you this of pastors. I've watched pastors. Pastors that try to be everything to everybody, doing everything good and trying to do, I don't watch them make impact. But when they figure out, you know what, I can do only these few things, this one whatever thing, I can do this well. And they focus on that as their main thing. What a greater impact they make in leadership. It's true in business and every other place I know. It's true of spiritual gifts. And unfortunately, there would be large numbers of us, certainly there are Christians Obviously, it can be true of those of us here that are seekers, we wouldn't have gifts yet. But those of us that are Christians that would say, I don't know that I, I could tell you my gift. I'm not really sure. Some people have landed on their gifts and are using them in a mighty way and are going to learn in this series, oh, that's why, because this is the gift I have. Yep, I got it. That makes sense. But, folks, we need to figure it out. So I said starting this week, I will help you in discovering your gifts. And seeker, you listen to this carefully because this is going to be one of the understandings of the faith that's going to help you evaluate: would you want to come this direction or not? Let me start by giving you six different. You'll see it in your outline there: guidelines for discovering your gifts. Six guidelines. Now these are originally uh, Peter Wagner, a man that I knew. He's now with the Lord, but uh, Peter Wagner, great author and and um, uh, leader. I've adapted this a bit from what he has said, uh, but uh, virtually this is his material, and uh, I'll just put it out very simply. You have an insert that has this if you want to take notes, but number one, explore the possibilities. Now, that's what I'm going to help you do starting today. I'm going to take a first segment of gifts, five gifts, and we're going to walk through what those five gifts are, and then we'll continue that the next two to three weeks. All right? So explore the possibilities. Number two, experiment with as many as you think could possibly be yours. Now, there are going to be certain things. When I read the definition of that gift, you're going to go, that's not me. Well, good, eliminate it. You don't even want to explore that because you know good and well it is not your gift. For instance, teaching is going to be one of the gifts today. And some of you have been put in a position to teach the week leading up to the teaching and the week after the teaching were the two worst weeks of your life. You dreaded it and then you were embarrassed by it. And it's like why would I even dream that that's I don't think so. So, okay, eliminate that one. Number 3. Eliminate your get the gifts you don't have. Number 4, examine your feelings. When you're using an, uh, an area of ministry, whether it be teaching or exhortation, uh, any of the things we're looking at today, w- when, when you're using those trying to determine, do I, do I think this might be my gift? You certainly are, are going to look at the results. We'll look at it in a minute. But also, how do you feel about when you do it? And it's not about us. It's not about I do this so I'll feel good. But when the body functions well, it feels good. And so it should feel, oh, yeah, I feel natural. I feel that just seems right for me. Good. That may be your gift. So you go to the next. Number five, evaluate your effectiveness. Are you effective at what you do? There are a lot of people that are claiming gifts that are not their gifts, and I know because they're not effective at what they do. I saw this in, in ministry and in, And uh, being around other pastors, and I'll ask the question, I've asked this question so many times, what do you think your spiritual gifts is? And when a pastor goes, and this is very often, oh, I'm not real sure. I'm not real sure. So, man, you want to find your gift? You're a pastor. You need to figure out your gift. But I'll hear many a pastor or a to-be pastor. This was back in my graduate school of theology days. And they'd say their gift was preaching or teaching. And we had what were called sermons, senior sermons, that you had to listen to the people preach. And, oh, my. <laughs> I'd say, friend, there's no way. But I, how many of them say, oh, I think, and I said, what do you think your gift is? I've asked this. I say, what do you think your gift is? Oh, it's, it's teaching, preaching and teaching. First of all, preaching is not really a gift per se in the scriptures, but teaching, okay. I said, well, what leads you to think that? Oh, because I have been affirmed so often. I've been affirmed so often, and my response is, you're from the south, aren't you? <laughs> Where we say nice things to people, whether we believe it or not. Sure, they're going to say, oh, thank you, wonderful. Oh, good, I must be good at this. No, it doesn't mean that. What we need to do is go to people and say, hey, would you be ruthlessly honest with me? Do you think I possibly have the gift of teaching? No, you don't. I know you got a gift, but that was not it. Be honest. You know, it's hard to do. But, my goodness, evaluate your effectiveness. And then last Expect confirmation from the body of Christ, which is just what I'm talking about. And there should be confirmation that people say, wow, you know, really, God's really given you a great, unique giftedness to this. Now, do you understand this, that gifts are supernatural. It means that they're natural gifts. They're natural. They're things that you don't say, wow, this is how do you, that can't be done. That's impossible. No. You're teaching. It's very possible. But it's supernatural in the fact that God in a super way uses that which is natural and causes there to be results and effectiveness and impact that almost can't be explained just from cause and effect. And you go, wow, God just seems to use me when I do these things, whatever that gifted area is, it just seems like there's, there's a difference made. And I probably need to focus more on that. Now, as we get into these gifts... And we'll define them. The definitions are going to be definitions that I've made, but I've taken from so many people over the years. I've studied this topic so many times, so long and hard. I don't know who has influenced me, where and what. But I want to say this. There is no sense of dogmatism that I'm going to say, this is what that gift is, and this is how you know you have it. The scriptures identify gifts, but in doing so, There's a lot of unknown. You have to speculate what exactly is and what does that mean. But I'll tell you this, we can get so close that it won't matter what you call them. See, I don't care. I don't care if this is exactly identified right or this is exactly. We do our best we can. But what counts is that you figure out what do you do best. And what I'm going to do is just kind of give you some directives, some ideas to kind of explore and think as we take the gifts, only the ones that are in our texts of the Bible, meaning they're written in Scripture. That's the closed view. I personally hold an open view thinking there are probably many other gifts beyond what's in Scripture. Maybe wrong there. But you just find out, what do you do best? I would be surprised if every person did not have one of the gifts that's given in Scripture. That would be a huge surprise. So let's take those and let's walk through them. And let's see if you can identify it down to maybe three, two, four, I don't know. And then you'll start exploring with those to find out, are they yours, are they not? And in doing so, at the end of this series, I'm going to invite you, assuming I can make this happen, I believe we can, where possibly online you can take a little self-identity test on giftedness and determine whether or not you might have these gifts. Now, they won't be a final determination, but they'll kind of point you even more than maybe what I'm able to do in the series. We'll see if I can make that available. But I think regardless, this is going to be a great, fun time to kind of figure out, okay, God, how have you wired me? Where am I best suited in the kingdom of God? Okay? Now, we're going to use the category of gifts found in First Peter 4, 10, and 11. If you're in the earlier part of the series, I talked about different ways of categorizing gifts. Based on this text, many put them in two buckets: the bucket of speaking gifts and the bucket of serving gifts. Speaking and serving are all for the purpose of serving, as you'll see in the text, but the gifts fall into those two types of gifts. Five speaking gifts, and then you can read the list. It's the insert has it, seven, eight, I forget how many I have there but of the serving gifts. Here's the text from which that comes. Verse 10, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Remember, gifts are graceless. They're given by grace. Whoever speaks, there's the speaking gifts. If you have speaking gifts, is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves, meaning has serving gifts, is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So use your little insert there, and let's start walking through the speaking gifts. By speaking gifts, I'm referring to any of the gifts that bring about results by what is said or spoken. All right? So number one is the gift uh, prophecy. Prophecy. Now, I want you to distinguish that between prophecy the prophet, and the gift of prophecy. Now, the prophets of the Old Testament and in through the New Testament until Scripture ends were those that God would speak to in a unique way that is not to be viewed today, in my opinion. I'll say this. There are no more prophets. There are no more prophets that can say, Thus saith the Lord, you must obey. If anybody ever says that to me, I'm amazed how many people they speak in this way to say, hey, uh, can I get your counsel on something? Sure, I'm just trying what to do. The Lord really, the Lord told me that I'm supposed to marry this girl. What do you think? Think about that. The Lord told me to marry. What do you think? Hmm. Well, I certainly wouldn't want to agree with God. I mean, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. God didn't tell you that. Let's, let's make this real clear. You know, you may have been prompted to the Lord, but don't say he did say. Say, I think the Lord may have said. Now, this particular idea of prophecy, uh, so important, this gift so important, that look what we read in 1 Corinthians 14.1. And I shared this early in the series, pursue love And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Isn't that interesting? Now, what I said then, I'm going to hold to it today. you got to be careful of that. This is Paul speaking to the church at Corinth. And when he says you, that you may prophesy, it is the plural that's being used. He is speaking to a church and saying, hey, church, this gift is so vitally important. As you'll see the definition coming up, it is so important. Please pray as a church that God will give you gifts of prophecy, meaning bring people in with the gift of prophecy. We need that more than anything. Why? Well, because as I'm going to give you now the first of two definitions of prophecy, one is going to come from what's called the static view. Static, and I think this comes out of Wayne Grudem. But the static view would be this, and I'll put it up the God-given ability to proclaim God's truth in a timely and culturally sensitive fashion with a view toward edification, that's building up, correction and repentance. So someone who is declaring, I may not have the gift of prophecy, but what I'm doing here is prophesying God, you know, and ideally people that are gifted to do what I'm doing. And so very important that that happened. And that's why Paul would say, hey, the church needs somebody and several, many people who can proclaim. that I mean, they're on the staff, that they're the pastor of the church, but they can prophesy, get truth abounding in the body in the church. Now, that's, the, that's uh, more of a static view, all right? Now, the dynamic view is a different expression. It says, no, it's the God-given ability to speak human words to report something God brings to mind. This would sound a bit like the gift of knowledge, um, a word of knowledge, that we're going to talk about later when we come to uh, the. I'm going to add a third bucket at the end, and that is we're going to talk about the more or less known as charismatic gifts or sign gifts. but um, And this can be confusing between the two. I personally hold this second view which I believe is inclusive of the first view. But it goes a little bit further and says, you know, no, 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 no. God may well prompt you in ways, and you're gifted to sense and understand God wants to use you to prompt in order of directing what God would have people to hear and know. Not just come to the scriptures and be able to figure it out, but but have this unusual prompting. For instance, let me just share some unusual prompting. I was uh, on a trip, uh, my roommate in college, uh, many of you know the name John Musselman in this church, one of the great teachers, and teaches uh, uh, one of our adult communities uh, most weeks. But uh, we were on a trip, we were going to go on a weekend conference, and we were all excited about it, and uh, we packed our bags, and we were literally waiting in front of where we live at the street to be picked up by a friend that we were going to ride with. And as we uh, were standing there waiting... I had this prompting. It was the most unusual prompting. And I turned to John and I said, John, I'm not supposed to go on this trip. And he said, why? I said, I don't know. I just think God just has prompted me to that end. I've had this strong certainty that I'm not supposed to go on the trip. And uh, we never could figure it out. And so when the friend came uh, to get in, I said, I'm not going. Why not? I said, I don't know. I I just don't think I'm supposed to go. I don't know if it was an hour or two down the road, three or four hour drive. I don't remember how far it was that the conference was. But in a very, very serious automobile wreck, one person was killed. John nearly killed in the hospital for forever and ever, it seemed. And, and uh, I just, I had it since. Now, that does not happen routinely for me. I don't think I have that gift of such. But if I saw that happening on a more routine basis, I would suggest, okay, this is maybe God has gifted me in this sense of the gift of prophecy, if that be the case. Maybe there's no such dynamic view that there's only the static view. But I'm just sharing my opinion. No, no. Or let me give you another example. I, uh, I had a, an accident in the early morning that uh, could have been very, very serious. It sent me to the hospital, and it, uh, it was a very critical time of, of, of my ministry and so forth. And I was just so thankful that I was spared from anything worse. And, and over the next uh, week or two, uh, maybe seven or eight, I don't remember how many people asked me about that night. Said I was awakened during the night to pray for you, and that never happens for me. Do you know why I would have been awakened during the night to pray for you? And after that came time and time again, and one person, one of our elders said, I prayed for you at 5 in the morning. And I remember it was 5 because I was awake and I sat there and I said, Man, I got to pray. And uh, I said, oh, no, exactly, because it was at 5 exactly that it happened. Well, was that promptings to these people? Sure, I think it's promptings. Just like people can do evangelism without having a gift of evangelist, Right. I think people can be prompted without having a gift where it's their normal thing to be utilized in that way. But it's simply just another way of thinking. You don't want, never want to take it as authoritative. It's never, this is what God said. I remember that uh, Saddam Hussein had just been captured, and there was an opening in Iraq, unusual to any other time before or since. And there was an open door to go in and take all the Christian leadership of Iraq and bring them together for a training. And I and another man were asked to go in and do that training. And so our elders met at length to pray. Do we do this? Do we not? Should you go in? It's dangerous. But And we finally agreed it was the right thing to do. Right before my trip, one of the elders called and said, let me tell you, I just have this sense God has just spoken. I, I sense that he's spoken that you shouldn't go on this trip, that, that great danger awaits you, and you, you probably shouldn't be going. And though I didn't tell Carol, you know, I had to take that. I called some other elders and talked. And we interacted and so forth and had this sense. I had the sense, no, I don't think that should be viewed as uh, a warning that we should not go. And we went, and it all went fine. So please don't think when you hear that, oh, I got to do and I got to be afraid because somebody, no, you discern. In fact, look what it says in 1 Corinthians 14, 29, and this is talking about even when the prophets were doing it. It said, let two or three prophets speak and let the others pass judgment, meaning you discern should you take it from the Lord or not. But when God puts people in the church gifted in unique ways to be able to sense, then you might want to say, could be. Let's listen carefully and pray about it. If you'd like to know more about that particular view, which is called the dynamic view, uh, you could read Wayne Grudem's book, The Gift of Prophecy in the New Testament Today, and a very, very excellent book. All right, let's go to teaching. Teaching, the God-given desire and ability to understand, explain, and apply God's Word to the lives of those listening. The... uh, This is more instructional than it is motivational. And that's how we'll discern a bit between this gift and the next one, which will be exhortation, which will be more motivational than instructional. This is more instructional than motivational, teaching gift. Uh, These people typically have a ravenous appetite for doctrine, for research, for books, for libraries. They're teachers. They love to go into the detail of everything of Scripture And by the way, if you think this might be your gift, you're not certain. doesn't mean you'll be good at it, but it might be your gift that you will be good at it. Let me give you some counsel of where to start. Start teaching volunteer in kid's town. Yeah, I say that for a reason because the younger the person, the more forgiving when you're not good at what you do. I'm serious. and So they'll sit there and say, yay, that was wonderful. And you, the, the adults in there will go, that wasn't too good. But you'll get better and better. It could be a gift. That's how you practice and determine, is it or is it not? Look for results. That's the gift of teaching. Number three, the gift of exhortation. Definition. The God-given ability to arouse others to action, causing them to follow a specific course of action. The word is parakaleo. Para alongside kaleo is the word to call. And it's calling people as you come alongside and you say, hey, and you have this sixth sense of there's a need here and they're stuck and they need to get going and they need the proper motivation and you exhort according to the truth of God and people begin to move. When you start seeing, hey, when I speak and encourage, them, maybe, whether it be in, in terms of uh, reassurance or, or strength or uh, whatever it may be that you're encouraging them in and you watch them start moving, Hmm that may well be your gift, exhortation, exhortation. Number four, I put up the word evangelism and uh, because that's what's most commonly called evangelism. Actually, the word evangelism is nowhere in Scripture. Uh, when you see the gifting list, it is evangelist. Now, that maybe there is a gift of evangelism. I don't know. My personal belief, and I kind of just hang barely on this, I wonder if this gift and then the number five, uh, next gift, the fifth one, which is pastor-teaching, teacher. If evangelist and pastor-teacher are not roles of gifts. I think they're gift roles that you have in the church. I think an evangelist is someone who certainly does evangelism well. And this person who is a pastor-teacher, this person teaches And they pastor through their teaching. They don't come alongside the bedside so much as pastoring, but they pastor through their teaching. Those are positional gifts. I think I have the gift of pastor-teacher in the role that I have. But now I think that people might use their speaking gift, whatever speaking gift it may be, and when they direct it toward a Christian, then you would call it the pastor-teacher. You direct it... That same gift, exhortation, teaching, whatever, you direct it toward the non-Christian, and you call them the evangelist. That's the role that they're playing. Again, is that accurate? I don't know. But it's just where I am, and I'll just share that with that in understanding. But pastor, teacher, and evangelist. Be aware of this, that evangelist or evangelism, it's a role that every Christian has. We should never say, oh, I don't do this because... I don't have the gift numerous ones of the gifts particularly the Romans 12 listing there is a scripture throughout the Bible there's at least one scripture that admonishes Christians to do every one of those gifted areas not as gifts but as role and I think we're all called to do this we're all called to teach in the sense that we teach our children we teach our whoever we still teach but it's not our gift necessarily All right. So let's go to, oh, by the way, the evangelist, this person typically has a very clear grasp of the gospel. They just love, they look for opportunities to be able to share their faith. Unless they're introverted like me, they typically will, they're the ones that pick the the middle seat of three in an airplane just to give them two opportunities, you know, just, (laughs) I got two chances at least. But anyway, usually relational, usually fairly confident. Now, last one, pastor-teacher. Here's the definition. The God-given desire and ability to pastor God's people primarily through the proclaiming and teaching of God's word. And so I don't think much more needs to be said about that. Now, that leads us here to what I'd like to do as we start the wrap-up. All right, I'm going to ask, just for fun, by a raise of hand, I'm going to call out each one of these five one at a time. And if you would be saying, you know what, this may possibly be a gift of mine, at least it would maybe be in a small list of three, four, or five that probably I wouldn't quickly eliminate. Let's think of it that way. Not that you have this gift, but you would not quickly eliminate it as of now. And so when I holler out, when I speak out the, the word of the gift, I'll ask for a raise of hands. And let's just see, just for fun, how many of us might have that gift? Are you up to that? You're going to do it anyway. All right. <laughs> all right. Number one, prophecy. Let's raise hands. Look at, ooh, a lot of hands. Mm, good. Very good. How about teaching? Teaching, all right. A lot of teaching. Good. How about exhortation? Raise your hand. A lot of exhortation. Now, let's watch this. Evangelism, raise your hand. A lot, actually, but... It's a much smaller number. And I'm, I, I, this is my opinion. I don't think that God just says, I'm going to give a lot less evangelist. I'm going to just make a lot than teachers. No. I think we have more natural opportunities in teaching, and therefore we think that might be. And many of us have not been trained and equipped well in evangelism and assume it couldn't be. My, like me, the first time I witnessed, I said, I'll never do it again. But then somebody came along and said, let me equip you and train you. So don't throw that one away too quickly. Could be, right? All right. And then lastly, pastor, teacher, which doesn't mean, by the way, before you raise your hand, doesn't mean that you have to be on the staff of a church. Doesn't mean that you're just a man, a man or woman. You can you pastor through your teaching. God uses you in individual ways or in group ways, but you, you kind of feel like I'm pastoring through my teaching. Raise your hand if you think that might be yours. All right. Very good. Quite a number. Good. All right, let's, let's bring this uh, plane to a landing, okay? Here's what I'd like to close by saying. I'm going to ask you all, every Christian, I'm going to ask you to be relentless in your pursuit of discovering, identifying, developing, and using your giftedness. Every one of you relentless. I'm going to say to you young people, I'm going to put an an exclamation point to that for you. You find it now. Don't do what many of us as adults have done by trying this and I'll find my success here and I'll do this and I'll accomplish this and people like me because and all that stuff and get to the end of the road and say, why did I do that? It was worthless. You early on identify, figure it out and give yourself to it And watch what happens. You're going to have a far more significant life than many of us in the older generation who have failed to do that. You go after it in a big way. And I'm going to say to seeker and believer alike, let me tell you, you keep going to the cross of Christ. Why? Because when you go to the cross of Jesus as a non-believer, you know what happens? You see the love that God has. And that love is what overwhelms your heart to cause you to fall in love with him because of his love for you. And If you don't keep an eye focused on his work on behalf of sinners like you and me, we're not gonna see that. That's how you understand God. And Christians, for you and me, man, we gotta keep going to the cross because you know what's gonna happen? If we go to the cross, we see this incredible love. And there's some of us right now that out here in the sides of of life, I mean, everything is going wrong. The marriage isn't what it should be, the children aren't who they need to be. I don't have a marriage, I don't have children. My health is gone. I won't ever be able to. I wish I could, but I never will. And all these things will cloud out life. And we'll think, God must not love me. Let me tell you, go to the cross and see that love. Until you see the love so great that all that stuff begins to take on such a secondary position. In fact, I would think if these things are hard and not good, let me tell you, all the more reason that you would be motivated to say, I'm going to go to this that is good. And I'm going to see it for what it is, and it's going to be so overwhelming to me that I'll be able to live with this stuff as long as I've got that. In fact, I think people that have all this going good out here, they're probably distracted far more and don't look to the love of God, and get deceived and say, "Yeah, if I maybe I can hold on to this, and maybe I'll get this, and this will this will give me what I." No. Let me tell you, regardless, good or bad out here, keep to the cross. See what Jesus has done. And let love be the answer. That is the answer. We started the service that way. We ended it. Love is the answer. Look at his great love as we pray together. Our Father in heaven, we pray that we might see the great, great love that you have for us. And we pray that, Father, we might, as seekers, even this week, have a a glimpse constantly in that direction and might ask the questions about the cross and why. And what does it mean? I pray, Father, for those of us that are seekers, that there might be many even now that might say, I think I see it and I'm, I'm falling in love. I want to follow. Grant hearts to be changed even today. And Lord, I do pray for those of us that are Christians here that we might all at the end of this ride uh, called Propelled, we pray that... We're going to identify and figure out those gifts, start using them in new ways. It's going to bring you honor and glory unlike any that this church has ever given you before. Show us the, the place, we, the, the workshop where we live, work, or play. Show us where you want to use us and make us that unusually blessed ambassadors for your honor and your glory. So thank you. And we'll now once again sing that song that. We've already sung, just starting and now ending with the idea
0: of how holy you are. We love you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.